praise the Lord. So open your Bible to Exodus chapter 34, okay? Exodus 34. My family sends their love. They wish they could be here. My wife, Karen, and our four kids, um, uh, Olive, Cohen, Preston, and Levi. Um, uh, the last time I brought uh, the twins with me when I spoke at the men's conference, uh, somebody, you know who you are, got them hopped up on a bunch of donuts. And uh, they're still hopped up on those donuts. Thank you very much. It was like three cases of donuts. They came up to me, they Dad, look what we got. We can eat all these. I thought, oh, my gosh. So anyway, they're still hopped up. Exodus 34, uh, we're going to be uh, looking at a major moment um, in the story of Moses and how it plays out throughout the scriptures. Um, as, you're, as you're going there, too, uh, just a fresh reminder, Friends of Israel um, is an organization that's been ministering to Jewish people since 1938. And uh, we were founded as a result of the Holocaust, Kristallnacht, in fact, the night of broken glass, when Christians said, we can't stand around and watch Jewish people uh, uh, be persecuted like this. And so uh, Christians, just like yourself, stood up and started giving money to help the refugees come out of Eastern Europe. Sound familiar? 83 years later, the Friends of Israel is still helping Jewish people, Jewish refugees, come out of Ukraine right now. We just had a busload of 37 elderly Jewish people in Ukraine on a bus leaving for the border of Romania and Poland in anticipation of making Aliyah, which means immigration, to, make, uh, to immigrate to Israel. The only difference between 1938 and 2022 is that the Jewish people actually have a homeland to go to now. In 1938, they had nowhere to go. They weren't allowed to go to British Palestine. They were not allowed to go. Uh, America wasn't welcoming them in. Europe and those areas that were still free at that time were not welcome, welcoming them. They were trapped. Today, because of what happened in 1948, the Jewish people have a homeland. And even though it's difficult for these people to leave behind everything that they knew, these Jewish people, and it's not just Jewish people, but that's who our ministries to, even though they have, they have to leave behind everything that they've known their whole life, at least they have a place that they can go where they can find freedom and hope in the Jewish state of Israel, which is only because of God's blessing and how he's blessed them. They were anticipating something along the lines of 75 to 85,000 Jewish refugees making their way from Ukraine to Israel to immigrate. It's a very difficult situation, so your prayers are definitely coveted. But it's amazing because here you'd think, oh, that was the past. That was, that was uh, you know, mid-20th century. That was the way they used to do things. Things are different now, the way that we treat one another, the way that we act with one another in the world. We're all friendly, right? Well, no. It almost seems like we're repeating, we are repeating history all over again. So we'll talk about that tonight. You have to come back tonight to hear uh, as we open up God's prophetic word to see what's going on in the world. But Exodus chapter 34, I, wonder, I want you to be, I want you to think about what's going on here. We're going to look at Moses because this is a major moment in Moses's life because Moses is going up uh, to Mount Sinai. He's already gone up and he's received the Ten Commandments. And while he's up there, he's gone for 40 days, everybody. 40 days he's gone. 40 days. That's it. Just 40 days. He goes up there to receive the Ten Commandments. And he begins to come back down. And do you remember what he sees when he comes back down from Mount Sinai? 
He doesn't see a group of people. They're like, oh, there's Moses. There he is. We've been waiting for you. So glad you're here. No, you, you know what, they, what Moses saw when he came down? A golden calf. Do you remember the golden calf incident where the Israelites build a golden calf? You, you know what I love the most is when I hear people say this. The law, it's so hard. You could never keep the law, ever. You could never keep the law of God. It's too burdensome. Can I tell you that building the golden calf, we're not even talking, there's 613 laws in the Torah. We're not even talking about law number 412 or 317, 80, or even 12. We're talking about rule number one, rule number two. They broke them already. In fact, if you go throughout all of Jewish history, oftentimes the Jewish people are not being condemned or judged because of their sins that are rule number 238 or whatever. You know what they're being judged for? For turning their backs on God. Rule number one, rule number two. It wasn't even that you think, oh, rule, I, could, I can love the Lord my God. I can, I, can, I can not serve other idols. I can keep certain, you know, a relationship with him. That's the, they were breaking the most quintessential rules that were built in, the laws that were built in to the Ten Commandments. And here's Moses coming down with these, these tablets that reveal God's nature and they reveal God's character, that God in his grace would reveal who he is how we should worship him, how should we should respect one another. Uh, and he's coming down with them and he, he just throws them to the ground because what does he see? The people have completely sinned. They've all, oh, 40 days I'm gone and you guys go and build a calf. Who helped you? Aaron helped you? Aaron, what? We've been together the whole, what? Could you, could you imagine that feeling inside? But I want you to see this. Jump back with me. I know I have you in Exodus 34. But what happens is Moses comes down. You would think this would be it again. This is like a Garden of Eden moment where you expect, you know, God, you, you think God would go, how many times do I have to do this? You know, starting back with the Garden of Eden and going all the way through. Finally, here we go. We have the Ten Commandments and they break the rules before the law can even be presented to them. And you would think this covenant relationship would be over. The divorce is there because they, 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 uh, abandoned God. They did what they wanted to do. You'd think God would go, I'm finding a new people. I'm done. That's not what happens. Instead, God shows his mercy and his compassion. And because of that, look what this amazing moment. You can jump back with me to uh, Exodus chapter 33 and verse 19. Look what it says. So Moses is having this difficult situation. He says, God, I need your presence with us. Don't leave. Stay with us, please. We need you. And then look what it says. It, verse 17, I'll start there. And it says, the Lord said to Moses, I will do everything, the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and, uh, and know you by name. And then Moses said this, which I think is something that I hope that you underline or hope that you think about as you're going on throughout your week. Uh, Moses says this, show me your glory, God. I want to see you. It's not enough to just hear you. I want to see you. In Hebrew, glory is kavod. It's, it's weighty. 
That's what it means. Glory is weighty. See, when we think of glory, we think of like some ethereal thing. You know, when somebody wins a, a, a Super Bowl or something, glory, there's glory in that moment. You, you can see it in the way that the team is, is reveling in, in, in the win that they had. But here with the word kavod, Moses is saying, I want to see you, God. I want to see your glory. Glory isn't an ethereal concept in the Hebrew. Glory is the weight of God. I want to see everything about you. Show me your glory. I want to be able to touch you. I want to know you beyond just hearing your voice because of who you are, God, and the fact that you've not abandoned us and that you will stay with us and that you will lead us into the promised land. I want to know you more than ever. I want to see you. I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. I have that underlined like 90 times. Lord, show me your glory. Look what it says here when it goes on. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness. That's everything that God is. We're going to talk about that in a moment. I will show you my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence, Yahweh, in your presence. And I will have mercy on those whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on those whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover, your, uh, cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. My panim. You might have maybe even heard a Yiddish word once maybe in your, in your travels, a punim. If you ever heard of a punim, that's what that is. It's a face. You can't see, the face is the idea. The face of God is all that he is. And so instead of seeing the face, God says, I'm gonna show you this area right here. I'm gonna put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm gonna put my hand up against you and you're gonna see just this area as I pass by. And then you can see that much, but you can't see me or else you will be consumed by my holiness. You all got to come back tonight because I'm going to show you from a text a man, a human who actually can see God's face from the book of Daniel. But this is interesting because Moses is anxiously waiting for this moment. Can I tell you something? Before you point the finger at Israel and go, hey, they shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have made the golden calf. Just remember something. We make golden calves. Can I tell you something? We build golden calves. Do you know what the golden calf was? Moses was gone for 40 days. You would think that was 40 years, 400 years, 40 days. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Do you know who, exchanged, who has the ability to exchange the truth of God for a lie? I do. I can do that. I can build my golden calf. Listen to what Romans chapter one says, just so that we can all be on the same page that God's love for us is not just a love for Israel in the Old Testament. It's a love for everybody because his love is not for perfect people. His love is actually for stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. And we're all that. All of us have stubbornness. I have an 11-year-old daughter. I'm learning what stubbornness is all about right now, okay? 
from a whole new perspective. Listen to Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged. Listen, Paul is pulling on all this stuff here from Romans as he's thinking about the golden calf. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, to the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Hey, can I tell you something? We build golden calves. And it's not about the golden calf. It's about us exchanging the truth about God for a lie. We, we, we lie to ourselves. We look at, instead of God, we look at our bank accounts. Oh, at least there's security in there. We, we, instead of looking to God, we look at the newspaper. And we exchange the truth of God for a lie. We build our golden calf. So this is a message not just for Israel. This is a message for us. Show me your glory, God. Don't let me exchange what you're going to show me for a lie. Always keep me focused on who you are. So God positions Moses just perfectly. Watch what happens here. The Lord said to Moses, chapter uh, 34, verse 1, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I'll write them on the words that were on the first tablet which, which you broke. Can I tell you something? Don't ever let somebody tell you there's no grace in the Old Testament. That's grace. God could have said, I'm done. Y'all are crazy. I'm done. Instead, what did he say? Get tablets again. Let's do it again. Don't ever, ever, ever think that you're down and out. Don't ever think that you've ever done something so bad that you could never find the grace of God. Even in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God says, get two more tablets. Let's do it again. That's for us people. Because, you know, when Jesus comes, you know what he is? He's grace upon grace. If you think that's grace, Jesus is grace upon grace, John says. But look what it says here as it goes on. I love this. Be ready in the morning when it, and then come up to Mount Sinai. Present your, uh, yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks or the herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out the two tablets like the first ones, and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. And then the Lord came down in a cloud. That's his glory coming down. His physical presence is coming down. And he sees him, but he's going to really reveal this part of him in a moment. And look what it says. Came down, he stood there with him and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, 
and sin, yet does not leave the guilty unpunished. Do you know, we talk about knowing God a lot. But do you know God? You know, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to, I want to know you. That can be, that's a very daunting thing. Sometimes, I, you know, knowing God, knowing the creator, the one who spoke all things into existence. I want to know you. Here it is right here. Can I read it again? You want to know who God is? Listen, right here. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate. You know what that means? He cares about you. He cares about you. That's right, the same people that disobeyed him after 40 days, broke rule number one, number two, is compassionate. He thinks about you. He's gracious. They're actually coupled words together, which is amazing. Two Hebrew words coupled together that rhyme. Ranom and Hanom, all together to be compassionate and to be gracious. And it's the kind of grace that isn't reciprocal grace. It's his one-way grace to you. Slow to anger. People, I need that more than ever in my life. Slow to, God is slow to anger. He's patient. Look what else it says. If you want to know God, this is God. God, I want to know you. Okay, I'm going to tell you who I am right now. I'm patient with you. I'm abounding in hesed, Hebrew, hesed love, covenantal love. You can't get rid of me. That's what God's saying. I am rav hesed. That's what it means. Many grace, if you wanted to be literal. I have so much grace. It's covenantal grace. You can't break this relationship that we have. I am married to you in a way that cannot be undone. Abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands. Forgiving, listen to this, wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Maybe your text says something like iniquity, trespass, and sin. Do you know what God did there? We can overlook this, but there are three different types of sins in the Bible. There's a trespass, which is rebellion. You know, we have a phrase that we use in America called treason. And you can be killed for treason. That trespass is treason. That's what that is. It's treason. It's rebellion against God when you shake your fist up at him like this. And you say, no, I'm not doing that. Rebellion, I forgive you for that. Sin, to be wrong, to do the wrong thing. And then iniquity is the guilt associated with it. You know when you finally, the, 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 the jury looks at you and says, guilty. Okay, guilty. Well, then what comes after you're guilty? Now, all of a sudden, they, the judge has to look at you and sentence you for your guilt. It's the sentencing process. So you rebel against God, you do the wrong thing, and then the guilt associated with it. And look what God says, I forgive you of all of it. He could have said, I'll forgive you for the sin, but not the rebellion. Or I'll forgive you for the rebellion, but not the guilt. Nope, I'm wiping the whole thing clean. I'm a forgiving God. He has to be. He just forgave the people for breaking rule number one and number two. But I forgive you. They broke all three of those laws. 
They broke all of them. In, in, in breaking the first two, they broke all of them. And then you know what he says? I forgive you for every aspect of sin that's there. And then look what he says as he goes on. Uh, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. You know why he says that? Because sometimes I think we can oftentimes mistake grace and mercy and kindness and compassion and forgiveness for weakness. It's not weak. God's not weak. You're going to see how this plays out in a moment. If you want to know God, he just told you who he is. He just said, this is my nature. This is my character. You can't undo this. This is who I am. This is who I desire to be for you. If you want to know me, then you have to remember that I'm gracious and compassionate. I'm forgiving. I'm long-suffering. I'm, 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 I'm slow to anger. I'm faithful. I have covenantal love with you, but I will not forgive. Uh, I, I, the guilty will not go unpunished. If you want to know God, that's him. That's the God you serve. Now, I want to take you on this journey, because watch. This is, if, if it's the God you serve, then we should see this all throughout the scriptures. Because you know what? It actually should be a reminder for us as we go through the scriptures as to who God is, who he is in our life, and then what did the Old Testament and New Testament writers think about God? Turn with me to uh, uh, Psalm chapter 51. Watch what, watch what David does here. Maybe you all know this psalm. I love this psalm because it seems like even though it was written 3,000 years ago, it could have been written yesterday for me. Look what happens in Psalm 51. You all know this psalm? When, psalm, when, when David uh, uh, confesses his sin to the Lord for committing adultery and, 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 uh, and, and, and killing Uriah, can I tell you something? David should have been stoned to death. He should not have been king. He should have been stoned. According to the law, David should have been stoned. And David knew that. That's why he penned Psalm 51. And look what David does right up front as he's saying, Lord, created me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast love within me, Lord. Cast me not away from your presence, Lord. Forgive me. Watch how he opens Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Chesed, the same word that's used in in uh, Exodus chapter 34, 6 and 7. According to your great compassion. Same word used in Exodus chapter 34, 6 and 7. Blot out my transgressions. Look, he names them all. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Oh, David is a genius. You know what David did? He used God's words against him. God, I know that I deserve death for what I did. I knowingly, with intention, committed a sin against Bathsheba. I knowingly, with intention, murdered Uriah. And yet, you know what? I know who you are. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 says that you are a compassionate, loving, kind, merciful, gracious forgiving of iniquity, sins, and trespass. Lord, that's who you are. And I know the guilty go unpunished, but I am on my knees knowing who you are and that you are capable to forgive my sins. So please cleanse me. 
David uses his own words, God's own words against him to remind God, I know who you are in the midst of my sin. Forgive me. Folks, I don't know, you know, right now when you're thinking about who God is, maybe there's something going through your head like, Lord, I could never be, I thought I could never be forgiven for this. I didn't think there, what I did was so bad. Lord, I, I, I'm stuck in this cycle of sin. I'm dealing with this issue. Lord, please, you know what? You can cry out the same way David cried out because, you know, David knew who Yahweh was. Do you know who Yahweh is? Yahweh doesn't want to be angry with you. He's slow to anger. Yahweh doesn't cast you aside because he's compassionate. He loves you. He wants you to come to him. That's exactly what David knew about the character and nature of God. Why? Because David read his Bible. It changed him. And he found forgiveness because he knew who God was. Instead of shaking his fist at God, he fell on his knees and repented. Can I show you another one? Look at this. Turn with me to Jonah. Oh, I love this one. Jonah. People. You know, I went through seminary and the big thing that they always talked to us about was plagiarism. Well, listen, if there's any good reason for biblical plagiarism, it's right here, okay? Because Jonah basically copied and pasted from Exodus 34, 6, and 7. All right? Jonah. Listen to this. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2 at the very end. Do y'all remember the story of Jonah? Jonah, go to Nineveh. Now, when you come to Israel with me, I'm going to take you to the place where Jonah was standing, where he had to make a decision to listen to God as a prophet. Jonah, go to Nineveh. That means go this way. You know what Jonah did? He went that way. Jonah paid a ticket to disobey God. He got on a boat in a port called Joppa. I'll, I'll take you there. And he boarded on this boat and he heads for Spain. I want to get away from God. That's what, that's what Tarshish is. He's, I want to go to the farthest ends of the known earth, Spain. Take me there. I want to get out of here. And God had other plans because, see, the Ninevites, do you remember who the Ninevites were? These are ancient people who everybody hated. The things that they did would make you sick to your stomach. And I'm not joking with you. The way they treated the Jewish people, the way they treated other nations around them was despicable. And their sin was great. And God said, you go to Nineveh and you tell them that their sin is so bad, Jonah, that unless they repent, my judgment is coming down. You go tell them, Jonah, that my judgment is coming. Nope, I don't like them. I hate them. There is no way on God's green earth that I am going over there. I'm going this way because I'm running from God because I don't want them to know about you. And God had to pluck that man through putting him in a, in a big fish, spitting him back out and sending him on his way. And look what Jonah says, because when he gets there, those Ninevites, you know what they do? They repent. Praise the Lord. They repent. They go and they say, oh, I'm so sorry. And they, they repent to God. They ask for his forgiveness. And God's judgment was relented on this Gentile nation. And you know what happened? Instead of Jonah going, praise the Lord, this is awesome. You know what he does? He gets depressed. And look what he says here. Oh, this, I mean, it reads like a perfect story here. Listen to what he said. Uh, let me look at, see, I, I get so excited I forgot. to. You all went there and I didn't, all right? See, I get so excited and now I have to find this tiny little 
profit in the midst of all these. See, you can go to seminary and it doesn't matter. You're still stuck here looking for small profit. Here we go. All that money. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Look what it says here in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. And he prayed to Yahweh, isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Why? Because I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. And that you are slow to anger and abounding in love. And a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Man, it's depressing for Jonah, but do you know what? Jonah knew exactly who God was. Jonah knew exactly the God that he served. He just didn't like it. He didn't like it because God was putting him with a group of people that he didn't like. And instead of understanding and being like God and being in the character of God and allowing God's character to change him so that he could shower grace and compassionate, uh, compassion on people that he didn't like, you know what happens? He gets bitter and angry and upset with God. Why? Because he knew exactly who God was. Do you ever walk into situations in your family? Do you walk into situations at work? Do you walk into situations with friends knowing who God is? I've heard people say to me, I could never forgive this person. I'll forgive that person, that person, that person, that person, that person, but not him. Too much. I don't like him. I don't like her. That's not the way God operates. If you know God, then you know that God could take the most corrupt heart, the heart of stone, and bring it to life. If you know God, you know that God's kindness and mercy and compassion and grace, it's not just for you and me, it's for everyone. And it should change the way that we interact with anybody. Because even Jonah knew, I told you, he copied and pasted. Even Jonah knew who God was. Jonah didn't go to Nineveh based on Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Because if I go there, I know exactly what will happen. They will be forgiven. I don't want that. That's not our calling, people. That creates bitterness. You know what we need to do? Allow, show me your glory, God. Show me who you are. I want to be like you. Allow our lives, even with the people that have hurt us the most. Look at, if anybody deserved to go, those people hurt us. It was the Ninevites to the Israelites. Jonah could have looked at God and said, they hurt us. They hurt us physically. They hurt us emotionally. They hurt us spiritually. And you want me to go there and ask, tell them to find forgiveness? No way. Over my dead body. Put him in a fish, spit him back out. He's going. <laughs> Why? Because even those people will find God's compassion and mercy. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. That's not our job, job to judge those things. That's God's job. 
Can I show you uh, one more really quick? There's actually a whole bunch, everybody, but I don't have all the time in the world. Listen to Lamentations 30, 22 and 32. Maybe you know Lamentations 3, 22 and 32. You know, there is Jeremiah the prophet sitting on Mount Zion watching Jerusalem burn. The Babylonians had burned the sacred city and destroyed the sacred temple. The things that the Jewish people held so near and dear, they worshiped the stones. They forgot to worship the God, but they worshiped the sacred city of Jerusalem. And God was showing them it's not about just the city. It's about me and worshiping me. You forgot about me. And you know what? He's watching this sacred city get destroyed. And look what Jonah, uh, 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 Jeremiah is able to say in Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 32. He says, because of Yahweh's great hesed, his great love, same word, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, we are not consumed. For his compassion, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, never fails. What does he say? They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Remember that line? You know where that all comes from, people? Exodus 34, 6 and 7. If you know God, you know he's faithful. You know he's compassionate. And you know, even though Jeremiah is watching a thing that's so sacred to him, burned to the ground, he is able to stare right at the ashes of that city and say, God's not done. Because of his compassion, because of his mercy, because of his long suffering, because of the character and nature of his faithfulness to me and to us as a people, he is not done. And look what he says again at the very bottom. And though it brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing Love. Where do you think Jeremiah, who's living hundreds of years after Moses, is getting all these concepts about who God is? It's because he knows God from Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The compassionate, gracious, patient, forgiving God. Even the future for Israel. When Israel thought, ah, you know, God was done with Israel. It almost looked like in the Old Testament he could have been done. And then Micah 7, 18 through 20 says, who is like you, God, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression, the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, slow to anger, but you show delight in mercy and showing mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot, hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, to Jacob and show love to Abraham as a pledge and an oath to your ancestors from days ago, long ago. And can I tell you something? There's one in Romans that's for us. It's all for us, but one that speaks right to us. Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Where did Paul get kindness from? Oh, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The kindness of God. You know what's funny is, like Exodus 34, 6 and 7, it's not the only description in the ancient Middle East, in the, uh, in the Near East at that time, of gods who talked about their character and nature. You know, there's a lot of them. Baal. This ancient God from Old Testament times, they dug up documents that talk about the character and nature of Baal or Ashtarot or Marduk. All these ancient gods, they have their character and nature. 
and you can read them in their ancient language. And you know why our God is different? Because those gods, you know how they start off? I am Baal, the strong and powerful. All will bow down to me. Even you, you little beings, you servants, you, I will show compassion on you. Is that the way that God started the way he thinks about us? No. He didn't talk about his power. He didn't talk about his great strength. Instead, he thought about us. I'm a compassionate and merciful God. I want who I am to change you so that you can become like me so that you can change other people and draw them to me. I love the way that this all ends for, for Moses. Look at this. Moses comes down off this mountain, people. Look at this. Exodus chapter 34, verses 29. Moses comes down, seeing this part, this part, not this part, this part. Y'all got that? Right here. You know why this part, it's in the, in the that the, the writer Moses highlights this? Because nobody cares about this part. That's a nice shoulder blade you got there, buddy. I like it. No, this is what matters, not this. But yet this, even this most insignificant part of the body, if we're giving God a body here, because that's what we're, what's happening with Moses. We're, 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 even though we're giving like this most insignificant thing, look what happens. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with Yahweh. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant. And they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders in the community came back to him and he spoke to them. And afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until it came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw his face was radiant. In Hebrew, Karen. The only reason I know that Hebrew word is because my wife's name is Karen, okay? I'll never forget that name. She is radiant to me. Radiant. You know what it means in Hebrew? You know when your kids would draw a sun and they do the circle and then they put the like, Things like this to show this isn't just a normal circle. This is the sun and it's giving off energy. It's giving off uh, heat. So you put those Karens on it. It means horns in Hebrew. That Moses was shooting out the radiance of God by seeing this part of him. And it changed the Israelites. Moses. Moses, whatever you're saying, we can't hear right now because you're shining right now, okay? That is an intense tanning bed on top of Mount Sinai. No, he comes down changed. Can I tell you what you have that those Israelites didn't have? You have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. Not on the outside looking in. You have more than what Moses experienced in you, the presence of God in you. 
And you know what it demands of us? To be like him. Compassionate, gracious, forgiving of all the different types of sins. Not just the ones you want to choose. Merciful, kind, loving, faithful. Be like me. Be holy as I am holy. I want to know your glory. I want to see your glory. Here it is. And it's more than just seeing me. It's knowing who I am so that you can be like me. Do you ever wonder why Paul picks up on this when he talks about uh, let me see, uh, the fruits of the Spirit? Do you ever read the fruits of the Spirit? What is the Spirit in us changing us into? Listen, but the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Well, we just learned that God is love, loyal love, hesed love, joy, peace, forbearance. You know what forbearance is? Slow to anger, patient, kind, goodness, kindness and goodness. Remember, God says, I'm gonna sh- I'll show you my goodness. Remember that in Exodus 33? Yeah, I'll show you. I'm going to put my hand over your face and my goodness will pass before you. When he talks about goodness, he's talking about all of his character and nature. That kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against these things, there's no reason for a law. If you can keep all these, you're keeping the law. You're loving me and you're loving others. He was changed Moses was changed by just seeing this. And folks, can I tell you something? We have the spirit of God in us. It changes us. So that when we go out, we become the radiance of God. We shine the light of God through the interactions that we have. That people should be going, whoa, 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 buddy. You're too kind. I'm killing you with kindness, okay? But that in that, you lead people to forgiveness. And can I tell you what all of this hinges on? It's not just that God is this kind, compassion. He is all those things. But you know what it all hinges on? If you read every verse that I went through and more, there's like 20 allusions to Exodus 34, 6 and 7, all throughout the Old Testament. If you read all of them, do you know what they hinge on? You ready? Repentance. David repents. Jeremiah repents. Israel is called to repent. God's kindness leads us to repent. When we see God, our action isn't this. It's I am sorry. Because when I see you, I see everything wrong in me. And I'm begging you, Lord, to forgive me because I know that you are compassionate and merciful and patient and long-suffering and forgiving and faithful and abounding in love. And I'm gonna trust that every day of my life and I'm gonna allow the Holy Spirit to change me so that I, when I, just as Moses came down from the mountain and was radiant, Lord, I wanna radiate your goodness to the world. Please, Lord, forgive me. God has a character and a nature. So next time you say, God, I want to know you more, just go to Exodus 34, 6, and 7. He told you. I told you exactly who I am. Now go be like 
me.